welcome to episode 15 of Pastoring in a Pandemic. I'm your host, Nathan Longfield. Today is Thursday, May 21st, and we'll hear from a panel with a pastor, a church tech specialist, and a technology and usability expert about how technology can be a gift and how to utilize it well in worship and the church. Remember to follow us on Twitter at Pastor in Pandemic, and you can follow me at Nathan Longfield. Download, rate, and review the podcast wherever you get your podcasts or listen on our website. We'll be back after a quick break to hear from the panel about how to best pastor in a pandemic. We're now joined by three very special guests. Reverend Andrew Phillips joined us a couple episodes ago and has return to keep talking about using phones. We're also joined by Bed Ugama, who is the sound and tech person at Pillar Church in Holland. And last, but certainly not least, my wife, Tori Longfield, who is the digital liberal arts librarian at Hope College. Thank you all for joining me. So as we talked with Andrew, he's been utilizing Zoom for church events and for worship. Ben has been putting together Pillar's pre-recorded service that then launches on Sundays and also thinking about some other routes and possibilities for utilizing the technology as this situation continues to develop. Uh, and then Tori does not have to manage any worship services, but is an expert on digital technologies, best practices with those, how to teach and share them, and just helped an entire campus flip to going online, so is very familiar with this conversation as well. Um, so to start, Ben and Andrew, I'm wondering if you can tell us a bit about the tech side of what the church is doing, the process it looks like to make that happen, a little more on the technical side. Andrew and I got into this a little bit last time, but a little more technologically minded here, maybe. Um, and then after that, Tori, if you could give us a little more about your job and role, just to give some context. Uh, ben, if you want to go. Sure. Um... Thanks for having me here. I'll talk you through our tech setup and our routine, what that's been. Um, I think the first week of all of this, we decided Saturday to do a recording session of a service. And we weren't quite sure if we were able to live stream. And so that was kind of our safety. Let's get something that we know we can show tomorrow. And that has continued on. It's been beneficial to to be doing it that way for us. We switched to Thursday for a recording day. And that gives us a couple of days to edit and get that up confidently online and take some of the stress out of it. So our setup was cobbled together from things that we had or things that we were able to borrow that first day. Um, we have a, a DSLR camera that we're recording on and a separate camcorder that gives us another shot of musicians and our first instinct was that we were trying to produce something that was a live event and, and switch cameras live. And as we've moved on, we've allowed ourselves to do more of that in editing later. Um, but it still involves being able to quickly switch between the two cameras just for the sake of seeing what we're doing, and that speeds things up. And then we're using our sound system that's installed in the sanctuary um, like we would typically do, mics for musicians, wireless mics for pastors and liturgists. And then each of them are recorded on either the internal camera card or a separate recording for the audio system, and they're synced up later. And we do use one of the slates, which you'll see in movies, you know, take one, that sort of thing, um, which people tend to enjoy. But nice. It, it, what it does for us is allows us to sync up audio and video later on in case something goes wrong. Yeah, And once the video is done, lately we've been adding more elements to it. Um, greetings from people from our congregation that they've sent in on a, a, a you know iPhone video, photo collages of congregation members at work in their environment where they are now. And that's been a really nice thing to see some more faces and kind of remind each other that we're around and we're a community. And so each week has involved a little bit more um, oh, we want to put this video in, we want to show this photo collage, we want to now put text on the screen for songs. And so it's really been a combination of editing and syncing 
on my part, and then I'll hand that off to Jonathan Gabhardt, our music pastor, and he'll insert text and do transitions and give it a little bit more of a creative touch. And then we post it on YouTube, and then we get flagged for copyright infringement every week. And we're, you know, figuring that out. Tori, I'd love to pick your brain on that. Happy to talk about it. Yes, please. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, that's about it. We, we link to our website. And I'll say briefly, too, the first couple of weeks we did reproduce using a Facebook live stream. We would play the, the recorded video on YouTube live or on, on Facebook live at our normal service times to see if that felt right. And after a couple of weeks, it seemed like most people were heading to YouTube instead. And so we, we stopped doing that. But that's, that's what our weekly rhythm has looked like. Great. So Andrew, you guys live stream. So a little different week we, there. We do. And I guess I might defer to, to others about the, the technology or what the kind of the technical term is called. I tend to think of live streaming as something a little more nuanced and professional than what we do. Um, but we have church live on Zoom. Um, and so that is both kind of video for folks who want to do it that way and have the comfort and technology to do it. As you made reference to my soapbox, that there's also quite a few people on phones. Um, and so we try to be very conscious of the fact that for my context of a, a smaller rural congregation that's older um, and where I have no Ben Ukema or Tori Longfield, it's just me. It has to be something that I can do live and that's something that folks who are in their 80s and 90s can um, kind of join in and participate fully, consciously, actively. And so the equipment for that is my um, late model iMac with a you know, built-in camera. I did splurge the 45 bucks for a, I believe this is a um, Jabra, Jabra headset, the one I'm talking to you on now. And I get some heads up for the uh, pronunciation there. I think the biggest investment for us, and I talked some about this last time, is the audio conferencing add-in for Zoom. So you have kind of your standard Zoom account, a Zoom Pro, which lets you do some other things. What you get with the audio conferencing is a couple different things. Um, I've been talking with some friends about using it in different kinds of ways. But the thing that's most important for us is that buying that extra package, which runs about a hundred bucks a month, allows Zoom hosts to initiate a phone call to another person. And so I have Jim and Phyllis, who when Zoom first initiated passwords for uh, Zoom meetings, you know, and responsible company that they are trying to meet the needs of their, their customers, that was going to be a barrier for us. And so we decided to go ahead and kind of uh, buy this extra package, which means that Jim and Phyllis, all, all they need to do is sit by their phone 10 minutes before service starts, and they get a phone call from uh, a number that I've trained them to recognize. They answer the phone. It says, hello, this is Zoom, to join, press 1, and they press 1, and there they are. Um, and that has been a huge investment um, for us that's really paid off in terms of, um, in fact, someone called me earlier today and said, hey, my sister is you know, not a technologically comfortable or competent person. She tried to join our service last week by calling the number and entering the code. That didn't work for her. Can you add her to the list of people you call? I was like, sure, that's easy. That's a copy and paste and a button click. Um, and so that's really the kind of technical side of it on our end. Maybe briefly I'll, I'll say too that the other piece, and this gets a little bit closer to some of the more advanced stuff that Pillar has been up to. Um, I do use the kind of Zoom share screen function to play videos um, that have music and lyrics tied together. That's in addition to making sure that everything that folks need is in the print bulletin. Because again, while some folks can see the 
lyrics that go along with the audio I'm piping to their phone. Some of them can't. Um, and so having a bulletin in front of them is also something that we do to make sure that, again, folks have the tools they need to be able to do almost everything on the phone. Mm-hmm. And I'll say maybe lastly, too, that uh, in addition to, um, I think, the Good Work Pillar and other churches have done to innovating a little bit every week, one thing that has been different since you and I talked last on the pod is I've gotten folks comfortable on the phone using the raise hand function for Zoom. Mm-hmm. And so folks who are on the phone, you know, they when it's prayer request time, they put in, I believe it's star nine, and their little hand raises. And if you're on camera, they actually raise their hand. And that's been really great that in addition to having folks be liturgist and scripture reader, we can do, uh, you know, prayer request karaoke time on Zoom. And it is almost as awkward as it is in real life, uh, but that is a part of this community's life in God. Ben, yep, Ben's got it. And it delights them to no end that even on Sunday morning, when they're not in the same place, that they can raise their hand and perhaps give an overly detailed explanation about a prayer request and yet that is their full active and conscious participation in the liturgy. And they love it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I thought you were going to say you were teaching them how to raise their hand in worship, but <laughs> a, a good second, right? Yeah, right. <laughs> we, we, we are Midwesterners after all. That's a, you know, that would, that would be a stretch for them. <laughs> so Tori, if you want to say a little bit about what you do and then maybe um, throw in a little bit on copyright, since I'm sure Ben and Andrew aren't the only ones wondering about how to not break the law in making sure worship can happen well. (laughs) Yeah, so my role at Hope College is the digital liberal arts librarian. I've been there starting my fifth year now. It has taken me five years to figure out how to say that word fast, but I've got it down now. Um, And basically what that means is I deal with the connections between pedagogy teaching with my professors and students, um, technology, and research so kind of those connections there Um, I do see a lot of interesting connections with kind of this world of zoom and google meets and who knows all the other five zillion platforms that are out there and using youtube and all of those things because I deal with that on a daily basis in a slightly different setting but a lot of what I'm doing right now has been really assisting faculty and students to be able to use those technologies well and to think about creative ways of utilizing sometimes free tools, sometimes things that maybe are low pay, um, and also thinking about tools that have low bars for accessing and using, right? Um, so is that a YouTube clip in many cases where people can access that really easily, or is that a Zoom meeting where they can be phoned in? Um, what, is, what does that look like, and what is, in my case, what does that look like on Hope College's campus? Um, for our students and for our faculty and staff who are in a wide variety, doesn't matter if they're an 18-year-old freshman or a 75 to 80-year-old emeritus faculty member that's still teaching a class, they all need to be able to use these technologies in a variety of ways. And just because they're 18 does not mean that they always know technology super well. And just because they're 85 or 80 doesn't mean that they necessarily don't know technology either. So I have a wide range and there's no indication of, of how good or not good they are at technology or how comfortable they feel in many ways. Um, I definitely get a wide range of that. Um, to start talking a little bit about copyright, I teach copyright on a fairly regular basis with my students, um, primarily in what I would call um, digital media, I'm kind of thinking about sound and about images and about um, kind of all of those different avenues, videos often um, in terms of copyright law. Uh, So thinking about that from a church perspective, that's a challenging thing. Um, I know a lot of churches have kind of set copyrights that they've paid into in order to be able to play songs and to be able to use those actively in a worship service. Um, Something that's a benefit for all churches is you're not, you're nonprofits, right? So that, that's a huge benefit in terms of thinking about copyright law. But in many ways, it's just going to depend on, I think, situations and circumstances and how your 
pulling in that music and, and where it's often where it's coming from and how it's being generated. So um, it's, a, it's in many ways probably a case-by-case -case basis, but I'd love to talk about that more in this setting if, if that's helpful. Yeah, thanks. I know for my, my own, uh, I come from the United Methodist tradition, and one thing that we discovered in the midst of all this is that our liturgy is copyrighted. And this was something that we thought, oh, well, it's like, it's the denominational resource, right? And it actually took a series of meetings much like this one for the denominational headquarters to like tell us, yes, you can use the stuff that we tell you to use on the internet. <laughs> it was wow. one of the more bizarre like <laughs> emails I ever got was like, yes, the United Methodist Sing Publishing House gives you permission to use this. Um, so yeah, it has been really, and <clears throat> this this might have to get into that later, we'll see. Um, I know one, one of the hesitations in, there are lots of kind of reasons where my context has not has not utilized a kind of something that's pre-recorded and posted to YouTube. One of the reasons is that I've been told by perhaps perhaps reliable sources, who knows, that Zoom meetings are kind of in the gray area when we're talking about. I'm getting some nods from people who know what they're talking about. And so that's allowed me to play a little fast and loose with the copyright because this is content that's not being saved. And so, exactly. you know, to be able to give, again, Jim and Phyllis the ability to sing Victory in Jesus without worrying about is while the song may be in the, in the public domain, is the arrangement of it that's in our hymnal in the public domain? Did the folks in Nashville, as they sometimes do, give, and this is something that we might talk about more too, again, my tradition has started giving permission to use certain songs for 10 days at a time, kind of tied to the lectionary texts, which again, is just a little bit nuts that we have like this song you can use, but it's from this day until this day. Um, do, you, do you sing the same song every day for 10 days straight? Don't people get a little tired of it? Um, right, and you know, some of it too is like, well, if that that's all well and good, if you, you know, decide that if you want to pick that song and you know, sometimes I do and sometimes I don't and anyway. Yeah. Andrew, is that a is that a typical thing or is that a COVID nineteen thing? Oh, it is a completely COVID nineteen okay. uh, creation that. So normally they're like, it's just copyright, right? Right. Normally, this is getting a little bit in the weeds here. Most of the resources in the United Methodist hymnal, you need both one license and CCLI to get all of it, which okay. is another like why. And again, this is a bigger topic than this podcast, but one thing that they have done recently is tried as much as possible to obtain permission on the behalf of Methodist churches to use those copyrighted materials, again, for a set amount of time. Right. And again, I don't think anyone's enforcing that at the moment. I'm sure folks at CCLI have much bigger things on their plates, but it is it is a complicating factor. Yeah, while we're still in the weeds here, I can share kind of what you know we've experienced too. I think Please. in the first couple of weeks, our you know our CCLI, our, our church doesn't really utilize video um, up until just recently, where we have the ability to show clips. But typically, we're a church that prints text. And, and that's the extent of it. And so our CCLI license covers the use of the songs, the printing of the text, and we just display that copyright info in our, in our printed material. And I don't know if it was another tier of payment to go up to now you are, you're broadcasting this, but for the first few weeks of COVID-19, they were offering a grace period where they said, we, we're going to let people use this for a bit. And the other thing that we've sort of learned is that YouTube, you know, even if you have the correct licensing, YouTube is still going to, they're not going to act on behalf of the rights holder. They are just going to flag 
content. And in one case, it was a hymn that was in the public domain, which is the same tune of a different hymn that is not in the public domain. So they flagged it for being a hymn, which was not the hymn we were singing. But right now, especially with a lot of workers at home, more and more of this is being done by algorithms. And that was actually a notice that appeared for us saying, you may experience more flagging. Mm-hmm. Um, but to this point, we haven't ever had a video that was not able to be posted. And to my knowledge, the, the last seven or eight weeks or however long this has been are still all active on YouTube. So it looks like we can um, live to see another day. I'm curious within all of this, um, maybe Tori, you can start here. What are your thoughts about like where people should start thinking about their technological choices for this? Um, at this point, I'm sure most churches have sort of an approach in mind. Um, maybe some of them are like, this is good enough, we're good. Some of them might be rethinking it. Some of them might be saying, this is going to be months still before we can meet in person and we need a better approach. What would you say sort of in terms of a mindset, a vision to even coming towards those questions would be helpful? Yeah, I to me, when I, when I talk with my faculty and staff about making technology decisions for their research or their classroom experience, the first thing I ask them is to kind of assess what your needs are. Um, and I think that's probably the best place for any pastor, congregation, consistory, fill-in-the-blank term of whoever your leadership staff is, is thinking about what are those needs, right? And I think we have two great examples of churches that have done that very differently, but it's meeting the needs of their congregations, right? Um, Andrew has a, a really pressing need of meeting that older population that doesn't have those technology skills or maybe doesn't even have internet access in some cases, right? Um, he's given me a, a thumbs up. Um, so yeah, so that's, he was able to really see those needs and meet that, find something that really meets that. And I think Ben has been able to use the technology that was also available to him and meeting those needs of the pillar congregation. So I think I maybe started to touch on a second thing there, which is once you figure out what those needs are, also realizing kind of what your resources are. So is that something you're able to borrow? What funds maybe do you have available? Do you have a low budget? Do you have zero budget? Um, I deal with zero budget all the time, and that's sometimes the most trickiest thing to do, um, but can also be sometimes the most rewarding because these things, you can spend a lot of money, and sometimes it's worth upgrading for certain things, right? Um, and that's all important, but it doesn't have to cost a lot. And I think that's something that a lot of people initially think with technology is they have to spend a lot of money, right? But you can get, I think, fairly decent stuff and do a pretty decent job for an average church or pastor um, on a pretty low budget. And that's great. Yeah, that's that's where I would start. Okay. Do either of you two have other starting points you think would be helpful or maybe that you've considered? Uh, so this is um, kind of at the forefront of my mind. Um, I am three weeks away from finishing ministry with the congregations I'm at at the moment and about to uh, move to North Carolina and begin ministry in a different context. And so that's, I think, as, as Tori started us thinking about, thinking about the kind of needs and resources of a place um, so, for instance, I, I, of course, am not on the ground there in North Carolina yet, but I happen to know that there is a Ben Ugama-esque person in this congregation who has facility with being able to record things and edit them together and, and post them. So that's one kind of immediate resource. A question I have going into a new context of ministry is they are able to do that. That's great. My kind of uh, initial read of their context is I'm not sure that's actually addressing the kind of needs of some of the people that they have. Um, And so, again, trying to make sure that those two things, the kind of resources a congregation has and the needs of the people there meet up. One of the other things that comes to mind in terms of thinking about how churches and uh, pastors and other leaders think about these things is also related to some 
aspects of your community that I kind of think of as exegeting your congregation or exegeting mm -hmm. your context. And so one thing that I think about in some other congregations I've heard, and some of this I'll let your listeners know, uh, comes from a lovely Facebook group called Zoom Faith. Um, it's run by a guy named Bruce Ray's Cho, or Chow, I believe, who um, was the moderator of the PCUSA um, several cycles ago. Anyway, he's out in California now doing some really interesting things with Zoom Church and kind of facilitating conversation around it. But I'll give you this example. So again, I'm on my soapbox about let Zoom let you call people, right? It's so easy. And for my context, it would be difficult to do anything other than that because it's just me. Another church I read about on Zoom Faith has had a lot of faithful ministry of people who give a ride to a senior to church. Mm. And what that means in their context is every Sunday, Ben is going to call Margaret and put her on speakerphone next to the computer so that she can hear the service. Mm. And in the context of having someone like Ben who has the technical facility to do that, it also gives him a wonderful opportunity to talk to Margaret every week and for that personal connection to uh, kind of continue throughout this, this pandemic. So again, that's something where I would hate to rob people of that opportunity for ministry if that's something that folks have the opportunity to do. By the same token, if that's not something you have the resource to do, by all means, pay Zoom me 100 bucks and copy, paste, and click and get people that way. Um, so that's one thing I kind of think about is both giving people opportunities for ministry where you can and um, kind of honoring the gifts of your community. And then you can you know, draw on the gifts of others, including the gifts we pay for, uh, to do the rest. Mm, yeah. I like that, Andrew, um, identifying your context and your needs of that context. That's very helpful. Um, in my mind, I'm looking around at other churches and, and trying to classify where we are and where this is forcing us to go. And I think of examples of churches that have done broadcasts for years, both the television and then maybe more recently the internet. I think of our context, which has not done any sort of live streaming effort or really any video efforts, and churches that have been utilizing an iPhone in the front row for a Facebook live stream and have been using that successfully for years. And I guess the other category would be churches that don't or continue to not do that sort of thing. So where we are, we have to look at our identity of, we are a church that does not tend to rely heavily on technology. And now we're needing to present ourselves in a way that I think continues to look like we're not relying on technology heavily, though we are. And so let's, let's get together and think carefully, how do we present ourselves? What techniques and what things um, in the medium, what, what does that say about us? How can we do this in a straightforward way that reflects um, what a typical service would be? And that's kind of the starting point for me from a technical design standpoint. I'm hoping to get together in the next week or two with our pastors and liturgists and, and actually come up with a sort of a shot list of what do we need to have covered how many cameras do we need to do that? And not for the sake of having extra cameras, but for the sake of not repositioning cameras. Because we're, I guess the main point of this is we're looking ahead. We found a temporary solution that tends to work. And we're looking ahead to the time where we're going to have congregants again, but we're going to be missing a population, our older population or other at-risk populations who are not going to be comfortable coming back to the building. And it would seem cruel to sort of cut them off and say, we're not doing video anymore. And it's like a, a switch has been flipped mm -hmm. and 
we're, we're in it now. We're doing video now. We have to figure out how eventually to do this representation of an actually live service with no chance to re, you know, no chance to, to redo sections. Um, and that brings up a lot of technical questions. So how can we position cameras out of the way of people? Right now our sanctuary is kind of a mess of cables and tripods and um, figuring out a long lens to shoot from the back of the room. And in all of that, do we build in recording abilities to fix our mistakes by recording uh, video outputs, multi-track audio outputs, knowing that we're not going to get it right? Are we okay not getting it right? What's our level of, of comfort there? And, and that involves staffing, that involves um, the reliability of the equipment, all of those things. So it's a quickly becomes a pricey endeavor. And so I think our starting point is, let's imagine what we want it to look like on, on even the most complicated Sunday. Let's imagine that we have um, a string section from our local middle school playing that Sunday. We're, we're going to have a baptism. We're going to have the organist. We're going to have another musical ensemble. We're going to have kids dancing in the aisles, or we're going to have all of our new members stand up. And any sort of thing that we may do on a Sunday, are we covered to just reproduce what's going on in the room? And that's that's kind of my starting point for all of this, which determines a lot of a lot of costs and, and gear and do we need to recruit a team? And I'm grateful to leave some of those decisions in somebody else's court, but right now that's where my head's at. Mm, yeah. So Andrew's kind of talked a little bit about how with the phone and using Zoom, he can make this accessible to a large number of people. Um, or the other alternative of kind of doing that roundabout connection. Um, I'm curious with a more streamed, uh, recorded function that's video, what have you guys encountered at Pillar then with um, making sure people can access it uh, when maybe internet's an issue or technical skills are an issue? Um, it's a lot of people who go to Pillar in a very wide age range um, and very wide economic range. So what does that look like to make sure that as many as possible can join, so to speak, and worship together? Yeah, it gets a little bit outside of some of my responsibilities with communication, but our initial thought was we have a website that we encourage people to visit, and we have in the past posted sermon, audio-only sermon recordings. And so people generally know where to go to find those. Mm -hmm. And so let's put the videos in the same place. Let's put them on our landing page of our website. Let's put them on the weekly page of our website, of the blog site that we would post, post our sermons at. And initially we would link to that on Facebook. I don't know that we sent emails with the links, um, but it was, let's, let's get it in the easy places to find. And as far as I know, it worked fairly well. Um, as long as we got our work done in time, people seem to access it okay. In addition to that, there have been daily updates, uh, five-minute devotionals that have been sent out from pastors recorded on iPhones as another way of connecting, as well as uh, organization of phone calls and those things that we miss in this format, Andrew, of, of being able to interact with prayer requests. And so accompanying the video has has also included other personal contact points with people. Um, so it's really, it's a bit outside what I, what I do, but mm -hmm. to, to my knowledge, it's worked fairly well, people being able to find it. On one technical note, the I've heard from some of our older members that some of the daily iPhone videos are difficult to hear and they have to put it up to their ear to hear it. And that's because it's a quick and easy way, and I think an appropriate and effective way to communicate that. But I would hate to hear that was the case for a Sunday service. Mm -hmm. And I think that warrants the extra work of doing post-production on that piece, which is a more um, central aspect to our community, and then allowing some of the other media forms to 
serve most people well. And our community has been very gracious. So mm-hmm. there haven't been really any complaints that have caught me off guard, I would say. Yeah. Yeah. Tori, I'm curious if you have any thoughts about um, maybe even just making the audio easier on a phone quickly um, or just general accessibility notes. I know that's a lot of what you do with projects. So what is that? Do you have thoughts about how a church could think about that? Yeah, making sound better on a phone is difficult. It's, it's all about what level of phone people have and what quality really at that point. Um, I would probably encourage them to clean out their speakers if that might be an issue first. Um, and then, you know, besides getting a new phone, there's not really much option there. Um, unless they were to somehow plug in a speaker, which is challenging and can be costly um, and probably not worth it in that setting, right? So, yeah, um, in terms of accessibility, I mean, there's lots of considerations and things you can do. One of the beauties of YouTube is it will automatically close caption, so that is really great. So if, if anything was to happen in a worship service and the song was to cut out or not be as audible for some people, um, that's that's a nice, beautiful built-in feature. And I do believe Zoom will do that as well. I think it's a little bit more complicated to set up and maybe you can speak to that as well. But um, that's that's one of my biggest concerns often with technology yeah. is making sure folks can hear or, or read, right, the words. Yeah, and Tori, that's a great uh, point that I wanted to bring up also. And as far as accessibility, um, how is this serving um, our hearing impaired members or other accessibility needs mm-hmm. of members. And the, the YouTube captioning, I know for some of the Dutch names that get thrown around are very comical. I have a number of screenshots of what it thought he was saying. And it made me wonder, do we need to look into our own captioning service? Yeah. Um, and I'm just today before this call was trying to reach out to some of our hearing impaired members where mm. when they're in the, in the building, they're served by a T-coil hearing loop. Mm. What is it like at home? Do you have a system at home that serves you well or would this be a helpful thing? So, um, And that's where it it's can taken get weeks very to, pricey. Yeah, okay. and it, it's taken weeks to sort of have that come to mind for me. So, um, yeah, we're trying. We're trying to get on top of all this, but I think that's an important thing to, to find out about. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the questions of accessibility have been, you know, so thoughtfully presented. And just to add, kind of a preacher's perspective to a few of them. Given the fact that, again, I'm, I'm kind of thinking of folks who are going to join us on the phone. So closed captioning, while excellent for many people, um, although clearly done by algorithm and, you know, has varying successes with the, you know, Vanderbovens of the world, doesn't reach everyone. And so as a preacher, one of the things that I think about is, so just to give you, again, some in the weeds kinds of things, in order for everyone in my congregations to get their bulletin and everything they need for Sunday, that needs to be dropped in the mail by 2 o'clock on Wednesday afternoon. If I were to send them a manuscript copy of my sermon, that means I must be done with a sermon by 1 o'clock on Wednesday afternoon in order for an administrator to, you know, uh, (laughs) print it and, you know, stuff it and get it to the mail. And, you know, that for the moment is not a part of my regular preaching rhythm. And that would be hard. Um, again, I know in the, the context I'm going to that some of what they have done gets recorded, not unlike Pillar, on Thursday, which again, if it's Thursday night on a good week, I'm done with my sermon Thursday night, but not every week's a good week. And, you know, we kind of have to balance these things. So that's kind of one accessibility thing that that comes to my mind. Um, A few, uh, two other quick things. I was on a call with uh, a bunch of other Methodist clergy this week. And one thing that we had talked about was the potential for um, drive-in church with kind of an FM transmitter or something like this. And there are, of course, some public health considerations here. And 
you know, kind of a whole host of things. But one I had not considered was from a colleague of mine who is in a very remote, uh, pretty economically impoverished community on the North Carolina Outer Banks, um, or actually on kind of on the other side of the, not the kind of nice Outer Banks where people vacation, but the just over the, the inlet. Essentially, they had folks call the church and say, we'd like to come to drive in worship, but we don't have a car. Can we come to drive in worship? And of course, you immediately want to say, well, of course you can. And then the kind of the public health reality of like, oh, you're kind of in the open air. The rest of us have some shielding from this. How are we going to navigate this? We want to keep people in their car. You know, just the whole thing kind of unravels at that point. So that was a consideration I had not thought about. Um, again, as we talked to issues to both kind of accessibility, having to do with yeah, what we can see and hear and what is available to us economically within our access and things like that. Mm-hmm. The other accessibility thing that's pretty close to my heart is thinking about, um, and Ben has already made mention of this, kind of what a hybrid looks like. And one of the places I've been in ministry was a big steeple downtown church that's been recording and live streaming forever. They had the cameras in such a a way that I did not know they were there. And it was actually quite freeing to be like, oh, this is being recorded, but they are tucked away in the upper corner and somebody's got a voice stick and zooming in and I'm just talking to people. I don't know about it. But on the flip side, that was a congregation that folks who joined that worship online were used to not having any interaction. They just watched. What I'm thinking a lot about is going from a setting like the one I'm in now where the Zoom worship is actually highly interactive as much as you can. And so to go from that to just watching a YouTube stream actually does seem like a step back. And I think we both talked about how we don't want to make second-class worshipers of people who join online. So this gets me thinking about, okay, is there now someone who needs to be in worship who is the Zoom operator and can, you know, relay Phyllis's prayer request when she puts up her hand on the phone? And that has to enable some communication where, you know, do I have a little bug in my ear? And they're like, oh, you know, we're getting prayer requests from Zoom now. And again, as we, you know, as we've already said, we've kind of entered into this world where it doesn't seem like we're going to go back and the future is very unclear and will require from us kind of a, a new way of dealing with this. I'll say briefly on the theological point and then be quiet that I had a mentor many years ago who talked about this is a great three-point answer. Oh, thank you. you. Must be the pastor in the room here. <laughs> I'm not the only one. All of us have pastoral pastoral tendencies. We're on, that's why we're on this podcast. Uh, but as we're looking ahead to Pentecost in just two Sundays, I had a mentor one time who asked me and invited me to think about, you know, the the Spirit power pours forth the gift of tongues on this day, and to think about technology as one of those. Mm-hmm that technology is a language that some of us have received. And, you know, that's not, you know, I suppose someone might have just received the gift of knowing, you know, how, you know, how to design a good user interface from the spirit. I think more likely they received that gift through, you know, education and mentoring and things like that. Um, But I tried to think about this in that language of, this is a gift that we steward and use to communicate with people. And so that, to me, particularly in this time of the church year, is helpful. Like, okay, just like, like, I think if you asked the, you know, those gathered in the house that day, like, are you going to be talking new languages at nine o'clock in the morning? It's like, no, I'm not going to do that. And lo and behold, there they are. Mm-hmm. And this is allows them to have conversations and to be pushed together with people they never expected. So that, I think, gives me a little bit of comfort that I'm in good company. Like, the church has been doing this for a long time, is learning to speak a new language. 
Um, and like when we learn other languages, like we mess up and put our foot in our mouth. And, you know, we start with, you know, can I go to the bathroom, left, right, up, down, and we eventually get to, you know, the place where we're a little more fluent with it. Yeah. I'm curious within all of this, um, maybe one major, if it's happened, sort of technical hurdle you've had to get over, a problem that happened, and you're like, uh-oh, what's going to happen here? Um, <laughs> is there, like, something that comes to mind there, something you've had to troubleshoot, and how you got around it? Just one. <laughs> I, I would feel irresponsible <laughs> when I list here. Cards, um, uh, you know, I've worked in production before, but always on the audio side. And so having some knowledge of video camera operators and post-production workflow and data storage and all that has been helpful, but I've not gotten it right from the beginning. So our, you know, we had cards filling up depending on how efficiently we're working that day for the last 10 seconds of the sermon and the, you know, we lost our footage. So that led to some creative technical um, decision-making and I don't think people realize this, but we've been incorporating more graphics or text overlaid on top of a blur. And really that's been driven by hiding edits that we needed to, to do to create a new entry point so you didn't have to go back to the beginning. So we'd stop and we'd say, shoot, how did, okay, you just talked about donations that were collected and we have some photos of those donations. Let's put those on the screen. Let's start recording again right there. And it's actually been a very appropriate, I think, and, and, and useful way to incorporate some other graphics and break up the talking head. Um, but they were really because of technical mistakes um, on my end, but sort of a happy accident, I guess. Um, yeah, I guess that's the most interesting one. There are pitfalls everywhere, mm -hmm. and the, the more pieces of equipment in the line, the more you can expect it's not always the simplest solution to use the, the simple equipment. I've had a friend who was trying to record, he's a pastor out in New Jersey, tried to record a song that he and his wife were singing on an iPhone, but recording audio separately. And the iPhone sometimes will record with a variable frame rate. And you'll find trying to sync that up with an audio recording that it will drift over time. So over three minutes by the end of the song, why am I out of sync slightly? And you can spend a couple hours troubleshooting something like that because you thought you were using a simple solution. Um, the, should you spend money on a massive camera switching system? Not necessarily, but um, my heart's with you on this because it's, it's a world of troubleshooting. Mm, yeah. You are entering a world of troubleshooting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so the, the couple that come to mind, one is technology in the, I guess, only dictionary definition of that word. I have not mailed through the postal service as many things as I have mailed since coronavirus arrived in our lives. Like, I have to keep the church stocked with envelopes and stamps and address labels we mail more now than we used to. Mm. And because it, it's how we have gotten everyone a bulletin, how we've gotten everybody what they need for the service. Because um, we discovered that despite my attempts to introduce some digital communications when I arrived in these congregations, there's a subset of people who they don't reach. Even when you, again, give some, you know, I have a system that can call people and read them a short message. and it does that and it works okay if you want people to know that church is canceled because we had four feet of snow, but for anything other than that, it doesn't quite work. On the subject of kind of digital stuff though, one thing I have found very useful is that even though I did everything I thought I could, and I'd be curious to see if Tori has anything to add to this, that, um, I, I took this, like we use the same Zoom information every week. I actually made the church's website slash Zoom redirect to the 
like the Zoom ID, so that all you need to go is to hopkinsumchurch.org slash Zoom, and it will take you there. It will, you know, it will just do it for you. I did all of these things. I put it on the back of every bulletin, and still people on Sunday morning will be like, I can't remember what it is. So I started having our messaging system text people a link an hour before church on Sunday morning. And that seemed to be a short enough time that they were like, oh, yeah, I have to go to my phone and click that. And even still, sometimes people miss it. But that has actually been uh, a problem with a fairly easy solution, which is, and I'll tell you why I know this, because I forgot to do it this last Sunday. And it was like, where are all these people? And it was like, oh, they did not have the text message sent at 9 o'clock that says, Zoom Church starts in one hour. Click here at 10 o'clock. So that's something I learned. If it, if it helps, students do the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> so, and faculty members, anyway, that I think you can remind people. Um, humanity has a short memory, <laughs> especially in regards to tech. So I think any way that you can kind of beat people over the head with that information and, and send it to them, eventually they'll remember it. There's some studies out there about memory and remembering things like that about a certain number of times you have to see something before you remember it. Um, but I particularly like that you're keeping the link the same. Um, that's anytime you can do that, it's really beneficial for people to remember even if they still need a reminder an hour before. Right, because if they do, if that way, at least they could bookmark it if they wanted to. If exactly. What's to. a bookmark name? <laughs> a bookmark is the thing that keeps your page in a book. <laughs> also, a little thing in a browser that tells you what website you're on to. It's great. Uh, uh, so one other question. Um, how do you address or manage maybe assumptions about technology? Um, or digital competencies of, well, that person's young, so of course they can do it, which, as Tori already mentioned, isn't necessarily true, or the opposite. Um, but I think we also often find that people self-put those labels on themselves of, well, I'm older, I can't do this, or I'm younger, I should be able to do this, so I'm not going to ask for help. Um, I'm curious if you've encountered those, um, if you have ideas for combating those um, yeah, Tor, do you want to start? Yeah. So I think it's about having empathy for people, I think, is where it starts. Um, I try very hard not to make any assumptions whenever I meet with folks, no matter how old they are or what background I know they came from or their research interests or anything like that, in, in my case, um, <clears throat> and try to both simultaneously give them help in their technology while not assuming one direction or the other. I try not to assume they know something and also try not to assume that they don't know something because both of those can go very poorly in an interaction. Um, I think that's something that churches um, could probably are doing in many cases but could benefit from kind of remembering that it doesn't really matter who they are. They're, they're going to come with different levels of competencies, different levels of feeling competent or not being competent. That's sometimes something I see quite a lot in my all varieties of my students, um, that they may think that they're really awful at tech. And people will often say, I'm awful at tech. I can't do tech. When actually they can, right? They're, they are capable of doing it. Maybe they just need to be encouraged and walk through it. Um, and I think if, if anyone is going to be doing something new, it can take a little bit of time, but putting together some sort of a, here's how you access this. And just, I will often do some sort of like handout. It's often a PDF nowadays, but I could see mailing something with literally screenshots of step-by-step -step process, as well as potentially a short video of, that you could mail out that you can show, okay, here's, here's maybe how you, you access YouTube if you're worried that there are folks that don't know how to get onto YouTube. Um, or maybe that's accessing Zoom or whatever it may be, whatever technology folks are using. Um, and I, I think that can often be a nice gesture of, hey, we recognize that you all maybe don't feel comfortable about doing this. Here's some instructions on how to do it in case you would like it. 
and kind of giving it that way. So that way when someone maybe doesn't feel comfortable enough to even ask or feels like they should know something and they don't, um, or really, really, really needs the help and is gonna call you and uh, send emails and things like that, they have something that they can go to maybe first. Um, and that's, I think, probably the best advice that I, I can give is kind of approaching those conversations with empathy and understanding and any way you can provide gentle help is really the best way. I need that help sometimes. I found myself in a pattern of receiving a text message with a Zoom call invite to my phone, creating an email draft to myself on my phone to copy and paste the link so that I could go to my computer, open the email draft, click on the link and launch the Zoom app. So that doesn't make any sense, but I'm, I'm right there with it, uh, you know, with you on, a, on some of these things here too. Yeah, I, and I think that shows kind of that you do technology stuff all the time and still there's things like that, right? No one is immune to running into a technical roadblock. Um, so Absolutely, I run into so many. <laughs> and I'm expected to know things. <laughs> yeah. Well, it was, uh, <clears throat> I, I have some more concrete stories, but in the, the sense of being vulnerable, it took me maybe five or six weeks into this thing to realize that, okay, there are a limited number of decent sounding YouTube videos with lyrics already imposed on them that limits my ability to have people sing. So I thought like, okay, maybe I could like close caption them. Maybe I could do some subtitles and so I'm spending time you know, figuring out how this works. And then I thought, you know, I could probably fire up iMovie and like make a, and like just pull the audio out of the clip stick it in there and put the words, you know, in the big title, you know, a default, um, and produce a movie and play it. And so like for the last three weeks, that's what I've done because it's so much easier than having to, you know, be like, Oh, these people sing this song at the appropriate tempo, but why did they use comic sans? And so, you know, it's like, I could have thought of that five weeks ago and saved myself hours of hunting for, you know, a version of 04,000 tongues that is not too fast, not too slow, and does not include Comic Sans. So, uh, which font do you use, Andrew? Uh, uh, Arial, <laughs> as big as I can get it. <laughs> yeah. white, white on black text. Or excuse me, high white on the black background. Yeah, high, high contrast. Yeah. <laughs> the the amount of time it took my me to get my church administrator to realize that um, was a long time uh, <laughs> that may or may not have anything to do with comic sans i, I won't say that down there <laughs> uh but to return briefly to what uh, tori and ben had already said i think that my the best the best i have been able to do is to try to live faithfully into what they have said about being willing to ask for help and trying to enter it with empathy so when i i started uh, I was actually, uh, believe it or not, out of, I was on vacation when coronavirus kind of began for real in Michigan. Um, and so when I got back, the first thing I did was, you know, kind of get in instructions ready for people on Zoom, mail them out, and then call every blessed household to check up on them, see how they're doing. And at the end of the call to say, by the way, this is how we're going to do church on Sunday. Can we hang up this phone call? You'll try Zoom. I'll be right on there. And if we connect, great. You are set. You'll you are all set for Sunday. And if not, give me a call back and we'll figure it out. And as y'all have said, it was very interesting. People who struggled with it, and then some of my you know folks in their 90s were like, okay, I'm good. Bye bye. You know, they had no, they had no problem with it. You just never know. <laughs> you, you really don't. And in fact, uh, 
well, I can't remember exactly where I was going to go with that story, but that kind of the trying to combine a very high touch kind of virtual presence to people being able to walk them through. And if I had sent screenshots, that probably would have been worked even better. Uh, but the kind of high virtual touch in terms of, you know, talking with them on the phone, getting them to test it out, um, combined with the fact that I'm actually not allowed to touch them physically, so kind of a high touch, no touch situation, um, is what has worked well. The other thing that's kind of funny is that it's been interesting to me that once people have felt sufficiently equipped and empowered to use Zoom for worship, they have started to do things. So I was on a call last week, I think. I, I, we also do a Bible study on Zoom, and it tends to attract people who are slightly more comfortable with the format, but some people still join on the phone. And I was trying to get you know, some things ready beforehand. I always open the Zoom about 15 minutes before so people can kind of get settled. I came on and people were playing with their virtual backgrounds. And they continued to do this for like the first 20 minutes of Bible study. And Ben Ugama is doing it right now. <laughs> or maybe, maybe not. But uh, I was like, you people are like, I'm trying to talk to you about God's good future and you're making yourself in outer space or taking yourself to San Francisco. And they were just delighted by it. I think one of them thought about buying a green screen, like, you know, and these are people who are my parents' age or older and they're just having a blast with it. Um, so that's some, some of the delightful things that you discover that um, once people become comfortable and know that they can do it, you know, it it almost becomes a distraction because, you know, now they're doing, what did else somebody tell me that they wanted to do? Now they are starting to scheme with each other about like, oh, maybe you could play the piano from home and we'll pipe it in. Um, somebody was talking to me about like, can, can we spotlight different videos? And I was like, yes, we can. I probably should have thought of that. But anyway, it, it's been a wild ride. So. That's great. Uh, so finally, I'm just if people want to reach out, touch base, um, email, Twitter, what's a good way to get a hold of you to see what you're doing to ask questions? Yeah, they're more than welcome to reach out to me if they have questions, if I can help them at all. And that's my email address is longfield at hope.edu, L-O-N-G-F-I-E-L-D at hope.edu. So you're welcome to reach out to me there. Ben? Yeah, my, my email, this is uh, Ben. My email is sound at pillarchurch.com. Please don't email me with questions. I won't have time for you. No. <laughs> um, I know I'm, I'm willing to, to help as I can. I would also, if I'm able to post a link, if anybody's interested, my friend Puya Hamidi, who's based in Toronto, put together a great article with infographics and great descriptions, in-depth descriptions of different scales of live streaming setups from the most simple to the most complex. So if anybody's interested in reading a, a wrapping their mind around that, I'm happy to share that link somewhere. Yeah, I can put that in the show notes for sure. Great. Yeah. <clears throat> and the folks can reach me at uh, a P-H-I-L-L-I-P-S, so that's A. Phillips at N-C-C-U-M-C dot org. That's the North Carolina Conference of the United Methodist Church, is what those letters stand for. And I'll put all and of I, those links in the show notes here, so you don't have to memorize Andrew's email. And one of the show, uh, one of the links to go in the show notes, too, is I really would highly recommend uh, Zoom Faith, the Facebook group, to people. They do kind of a Monday morning, uh, I was going to say post-mortem. Let's not use that word. <laughs> they do a Monday morning retrospective on, okay, Zoom churchers, what went well? Did all of you have the problem this last Sunday where Zoom crashed on you? The answer being, if you're on the West Coast, no, because those of us on the East Coast who you know took a dive uh, managed to alert zoom in time and so my buddies in california were like 
we, we had no problem. And I was like, yeah, because you were three hours behind and we, you know, suffered and Zoom fixed it for you. Uh, but it really is both a great place to vent about things and to find some innovative ways of doing things. Um, and the, you know, it is, they, they think of it as a laboratory, and I think that's a pretty good image, is that this is not settled science. We are experimenting every Sunday. Yeah, great. Thank you so much to all of you for joining. Thank you. Thanks, Nathan. Great to be back. That will do it for today. Thanks for listening. Andrew, Ben, and Tori provided some great resources, and those and their emails are all in the show notes below. To keep up with everything on pastoring in a pandemic, you can follow us on Twitter at Pastoring Pandemic. Follow me at Nathan Longfield. Be sure to download, rate, and review the podcast. Please join us again next time as we return to our regularly scheduled programming to hear how another pastor is pastoring in a pandemic. Grace and peace. Grace and peace.